We're going to read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. 16 through 21. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we just ask for your help in understanding Scripture. Lord, not that these things are, di- are hard to understand truthfully, Lord, but there are things that are so close to our hearts that we don't even realize how often they impact us. And Father, we want to live a life that's holy for you. We want to be righteous before you. We want to walk in the Spirit. And Father, we just ask you this morning that you would give us clearer understanding to see the battle that we fight against. Lord, to see how awful sin is. And Lord, to give us a renewed hope of how wonderful our Lord is. Father, we ask for this in Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask for each one who's listening, Lord, that as Josh said, that we would be quick to hear, Lord, and that we would be of tender hearts, Lord, even in the, these awful subjects of sin, Father, that you would bring us closer to you because of it. And Lord, for myself, I ask for your wisdom, Lord, that you would help me in my speech, you'd order my thoughts and my words. And Lord, even in the, in the very intents and thoughts of my heart, Lord, that you would guide me. Father, that what would come out would be edifying for your people and good food. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we started talking about this section, the works of the flesh, and I started out with a question. I bet everybody's got the answer this week, but which was the most important verse here? And uh, that was in my opinion. There is no right or wrong. There were a lot of good verses. Um, But the one I liked was walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And you remember, maybe I told you that this was important because God, the apostles did not give us a list that we, we, we take these things and we say, okay, here's the list. As long as I don't do these things, I'm okay. And we somehow try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. That's never worked. God has told us that uh, the way to to defeat the flesh is through the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, this is verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You, You must have the Spirit's power. And that's why we went back, we looked at at Romans chapter 8, the Spirit is given to every one of us who are in Christ. If we have not the Spirit of God, we are none of His. And to walk in the Spirit is to set our minds on things of the Spirit. It's to fill our mind with that which is good and that which is profitable. Almy and I often go to 
uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 8 or 9, where it says, be anxious for nothing. And many of you know that one, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard or keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we, we kind of stop there. And we go, okay, so if we've got problems, we take it to the Lord. But the verse doesn't stop there. It continues on. And it tells us that uh, we are to set our minds on certain things. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do. So there is a setting of our mind, even in the, even in the affairs of this life, there is a setting of your mind on the things that are good. I remember reading an article, uh, and it was on Facebook fact checkers. And uh, this was actually uh, prior to this latest uh, twist of Facebook where everybody's having trouble with the fact checkers and them being uh, biased. Uh, But this was about the ones that looked at all the conspiracy theories. And they took young people who were gifted in technology, and the idea was is that they would be able to refute these theories, these conspiracy theories like the flat earth and uh, 5G phone and different ones, and they would put out some evidence that would be able to refute them. And you know what they found? They found that it was an incredibly high turnover rate, that very few people lasted more than a couple of years And that each one of them that retired, now remember, these were people that were against conspiracy theories when they were hired. And that by the time they retired, most of them had devolved into believing some of the conspiracies that they had fought against. Now, Facebook completely to the side, the article was interesting from a biblical perspective on what you fill your mind with. If you fill it with all these ideas and thoughts and, you know, flat earth stuff, eventually you're going to come to a point where these things look more acceptable. Not only just acceptable, but possibly real. Possibly real. And this is, I think, often where Almi and I look at people who are, they're worried about what's coming in the future. And we understand that we're not to be anxious about things that are coming but we're to come to God in prayer with it. But we spend so much time talking about it and worrying about what if this happens, what if that happens, what if, that it becomes something that that takes up a spot in our heart. Instead of looking at, as Philippians says, the things that are good, the things that are honest, the things that are true. You know, when you look at the future, I'm not saying these things won't come to pass, but they don't they're not true as of this moment. They're not honest. If you look at the things that are good, things that are true, things that are honest, it's things that have actually happened, things that can be measured, that can be tested, that can be looked at, such as the Word of God. And how important it is for us to focus our minds on those things. Colossians would say, set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth, right? Right? 
So this is where our mind is to go. We're to be walking in the Spirit, walking with the mind of Christ in us, focused on His Word, focused on the work that God has given us to do. And it is that way that we will have the victory over these things. Now, last week, we also went into the start of this, uh, verse 19, and we saw that the first section of this, uh, and there's several lists, both here and in 1 Corinthians, and we read one out of Matthew, and there's several others that I've looked at, and always the first section of it is the sins of the body, the sins of the flesh, it's sexual sin. And we took some time to go over each one of these, adultery, uh, the idea of breaking the marriage covenant or the engagement, uh, the, particularly the marriage covenant, sex outside of marriage, after your marriage. Fornication was the other one, and that's the word pornea. And that one, as it's used in the Bible in the Old Testament, it's almost always considered harlotry. It's an unmarried woman that sells herself or gives herself to someone else. Uh, and in the New Testament as well, uh, the Pharisees accused Christ of being born of fornication as Mary was found to be with child prior to her marriage to Joseph, uh, consummation of her marriage to Joseph. So we see again the Bible defining these terms. Then we had uncleanness, and this doesn't mean not washing. This is just the filth of the flesh. This is uh, other ways possibly of uh, immorality that, that stopped just short of the technical definitions of adultery and fornication. Lewdness is the improper joking and, and the improper dressing and the thoughts and intents. It's maybe not the, the physical interaction, but it is the, the verbal interaction and the, the thoughts that go with it and the temptress, that kind of thing. We, we touched on idolatry and sorcery as well. And the reason we looked at those is because they definitely also have a, had a, uh, an idea of sex within them. Uh, if you remember idolatry, most of the pagan religions used sex as a way to increase the number of people that came. Uh, Baal worship was literally the god of fertility. We had Aphrodite, which was the god of love, uh, and different ones that you can go through. Even the, many of the other gods had certain rituals that were performed with them. Sex became a part of almost every major religion, false religion, let me put it that way. Uh, and I, we can look at that even to today. Uh, in Islam, you're promised uh, 70 virgins uh, when you go to heaven that will be yours for all eternity. In uh, Mormonism, you'll promise that you will be actually procreating to produce the souls for an entire universe on your own. Uh, just the human heart of man gets dragged into this. And only in the Lord are we going to find the strength to stand against it. So today what we want to do we wanted one more thing. Why did Paul write these things? We looked at this as well last week. Paul wrote these things for two purposes. The first is very clearly given to you uh, at the end of the verse and at many of these other verses. Uh, I'm telling you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is your lifestyle, if this is your practice, if you can continue on with this, 
Now, I'm not going to say just continue on without guilt because there are many people that are in sin that say, well, I really, I don't like what I'm doing and I really wish I didn't do it, but uh, I keep falling. And the Bible understands that there are times that a Christian falls and he comes to the Lord and he asks for forgiveness. But there must also be a setting of your heart to say there is a line here. You know, and, and I've fallen so many times, we're gonna draw this line in blood. I will not fall again. We're gonna do whatever it takes to cut this part off from me. We're going to get help. We're gonna get accountability. We're gonna, we're gonna do whatever it takes. We're gonna give up whatever it takes. I remember two young boys uh, in our mission that came home and they roomed together. And somebody talked to their parents and said, well, I suppose you talk to them on Skype all the time or Zoom or something. They said, no, actually, they've decided not to have internet where they live. And when asked why, the boys said, it's simply a matter of testimony. They said, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for people to believe that two young men want to be pure. And the only way we can be above reproach, and even in our own lives, know that we're not going to go there is to get rid of the internet. Now that is the kind, I know from both of them that they have talked to me about their struggles with purity uh, and actually some of their falls into pornography at, at later times. But both of them saw it so clearly that lines had to be drawn. And this is what the purpose of this is for the Christian. You start to see these things and you start to see bits and pieces of them creeping into your life. Now, we looked at adultery and you say, well, I'm, I don't commit adultery. And yet we have Christ who says, a man that looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And we realize that there's none of us that are, in, are innocent. Uh, for the women, it might not be as much the visual pornography, but it might be the written word. But either way, it's a temptation for all of us. And so we see these things starting to come and these are, these are warnings then for us that these are things we must fight against. You cannot allow these to continue and also walk closely to the Lord. It won't happen. These things will destroy your walk with the Lord. These things will tear down whatever you are trying to build for God. So because of the importance of them, uh, and particularly because of the, the problems we're having in our day and age with pornography, it was something that we, we spent a whole Sunday on. Uh, my concluding thought was, uh, I don't remember if you remember this t- statistic I gave you, but 98% of students at college openly admit to, boys, openly admit to using pornography, and over 40% of women as well. That's the day and the age that we're living in, and that's the battle we're having. So it is not something uh, we just talk about. Uh, Public school kids, the governor of uh, Tennessee, I believe it was, or it could have been Kentucky. uh, I think it was Kentucky, come to think about it, said that in public school, kids are exposed to nudity and pornography by the age of 11 at 100%. 100% of students. Again, we don't look at this stuff to try to scare somebody, but to offer a legitimate, this is real. 
It has to be dealt with. Every family has to deal with this. Every single family has to deal with this at some level or other. If you don't, you will find that it is sneaking, sneaking into your family. Um, so that's why we spend our time there. We want to continue on today when finish this list, and I apologize almost. I don't really apologize for the Word of God, but I have to apologize for the list just in the sense that it is not where I desire to spend my time. I am very much looking forward to verses 22 and on. Uh, we, we, are, we are excited to get there, uh, and yet I would be remiss if I didn't also go through what God has warned us about. These are the things that awaits the sin that so easily besets us that is going to hinder our walk with the Lord. And so we want to go through there. So let's start with the list. And we just want to start with the first one, idolatry. And last week we looked at the idea of the sexual component of it. Uh, and just to say again, I've even heard in Christian churches where people have evangelized. And you go, that not in a Christian church. Have Really? Yeah, come to church. You'll like the women there. They're really pretty. (laughs) So even in the Christian church, this is how it sneaks in. And it's not what we're to be looking for. We are not to be looking at the demographics of the church, whether it's young or old, whether it's white or black. I've had, I've as well been to churches and I've asked people I've stayed with, why did you go to this church? And they said, well, we wanted a church that was a good split between white and black. And I can understand that there is a desire there to reach out to everyone, but there must be a desire for God's word first and foremost. Anytime we hold something else up, Okay, whether it's the idea of white or black, whether it's the demographics, I want a younger church, whether it's something else, I want this kind of music. When we hold something else up other than God's word, we've just made an idol of something. We've made an idol. John Calvin in his institutes, he would spend his entire life writing his institutes is what he called them. It was a book for discipleship. And he basically, it talked about the attributes of God. He started out and he had several chapters on who is God and God's holiness and his righteousness. And he said, you can't understand man until you understand God and God being the lawgiver. And then the second part of it is who is man? He's sinful, he's a creature and all this. And in one of his later sections, he would talk about the heart of man being a perpetual idol factory. And while he didn't quite have the words for it back in the 1500s, it's kind of like a conveyor belt that makes idols, an assembly line of idol makers. As soon as you knock one off and you say, I will not worship this thing, something else pops up, comes right down the line. That's the idea that he was presenting when he looked at the heart of man. Idolatry is not something that we have to look over to the pagans and say, well, they're Hindus, they're idolaters, they're uh, you know, Catholics with their worship of the saints and their superstitions of the saints. That's idolatry. No, it, it hits much closer to home. It's anything that gets in front of God. And it doesn't even have to be something that we lift up and we say, I'm worshiping this over God. If you hold it up next to God and you say, I want God and this, and you say, well, it's down here. 
There is nothing that is to be in front positionally of God, not positionally horizontally, but on the same plane as God. As soon as we start to make that compromise and we lift something up, we've made an idol out of it. We've made something that starts to to pull us away from the true worship of God. And you will see that in many things. I'm amazed, and I, I really don't want to go here, but I think it's, it's too easy for us to skip over the ones that we know of and sometimes to look at examples that are further away. But we have so many people in, that are talking about this issue of wearing masks. And on, on the one side, we, we, have, we just want to love and care for each other. And I have friends that have posted that even today. And on the other side, we have, this is an unjust law, and an unjust law has no power over me. I refuse to submit to an unjust law. And I saw that just yesterday from another friend. These are people from Maine, people you don't know, but they're away. What I missed in both of them was any direct reference to God's word. There was not one direct reference to God's word. And if we are going to go to God's word and what God's word says, what we will find is the only reference that even come close is Matthew 13, which talks about the government having the authority over us and that we are to be submissive to it. And there's three or even four different uh, references to that with that same thought from Titus uh, to Peter each one telling us to submit to the authorities that are over us. Now, I might not agree with how the law came into being. I might not agree even if it is a law. But I am still to get render honor to whom honor is due. And uh, there was another part that went along, respect to whom respect is due. I don't know. There's another part that went along with that. And... We take an issue like that, and all too easily we raise it up and we say, well, God is first, God is first, but hold it. As soon as you say but, you've just raised that issue up. You've just made it something that is hard to deal with. It's it's an idol now. It's an idol. It's a false God, something that is false and is taking authority over what God's authority has said. Now, we can have opinions, but we have to be careful, even us as Christians, what do we allow to influence us? I I listen, and when I hear people talking, I want to know this. This is my first question. What verse are you basing that opinion off of? If you cannot come to a a direct verse and yet you're holding it up as authority, you've just made an idol, have you not? Oh, we love to talk about the Hindus and the Buddhists and the... But our hearts, just as we struggle with the sexual side of it, our hearts struggle with the idolatry side of it too. You know, you, you look at the Catholic Church And the idea that, no, we believe in Scripture. Scripture is the authority of God, not the only authority, mind you. 
That's what they say it is the authority. And then they add a but. But the Pope has to interpret Scripture. The church has to interpret Scripture. And the result is, is they turn everything upside down. God says there's one mediator, and they say, oh, amen, there's one mediator, but there's a mediatress. And they turn it upside down. They turn the Bible upside down because men have placed their authority on the same level as God. This is where idolatry comes in. We have such simple things that lift themselves up. Now, I want to... You know, we have different ideas, and let me bring out two other examples that maybe hit close to home. We have some people that say Christmas is a pagan holiday if we celebrate it on December 25th, because that day was the solstice and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and Christ really wasn't born on the 25th. I agree, Christ was not born on the 25th. The Catholic Church or the Roman Church of the time did take this day where there was a pagan festival and it did involve green trees, I think, and uh, they did try to make it a Christian festival. But, you know, for most of us, we're not struggling with the Roman festivals and the Roman gods when we celebrate Christmas. I never even thought about that as a child. So this is an issue where you go and you say, well, what verses do you claim? There's no verse that you can point to that directly says Christmas is sin. Celebrating you know, the birth of Christ on the December 25th is sin. You can't find a verse that says that. You might find some verses that say, you know, worshiping another god or a pagan festival is sin. And then you might say, and I think Christmas on the 25th is a symbol of that sin. And what you have is called a jagged line. All right, there was an author in the 1990s that uh, made this statement up, and it's, it's really helped me since I've read it, and that there are jagged line issues, and on jagged line issues, we give more freedom. Okay, a jagged line issue is we have this scripture that points to here, and I think there's a correlation between here and here, and so that's a jagged line issue. And then there are straight line issues. Okay, jagged line issues, we give freedom. Matthew, or Romans 14 and 15. Who are you to judge another man's servant? And the, the whole discussion on food to idols. We know idols are nothing, but if it makes my brother to sin, I will give up my liberty. And it goes back and forth as we wrestle with this decision and how we should, I can eat it, but I don't have to eat it. And I don't want to make my brother to sin. And it goes on and on. Romans 14 and 15, talk about jagged line issues. And I mean, that's as serious as it gets. This was meat that had been, quote, offered to an idol that was bought in the marketplace. That's certainly a lot closer than Christmas is to us. That's a jagged line issue. If, it's, if it offends your conscience, then, I, you know, I'm not going to celebrate, I'm not going to force you to celebrate Christmas with me. How about a, how about a, a, a straight line issue, not a jagged line but a straight line issue. We had a Maasai man in Sekinani that we caught in an affair. And his wife brought up a gift and a, and a letter that had been written to his girlfriend. And he detailed the time frame of the affair. She had found out she was pregnant. And uh, he was 
promising he would help her get an abortion and not to worry what other people would think. And he said, you know, they looked for it back here and they looked for it here and they looked for it. And everything else he said was true. You could trace this affair from the origin of when he first met her all the way through. You think God was in the writing of this letter? Absolutely. Every detail of their affair was spelled out so that it could be proved. He was one of the leaders of the church either the first or second leader of the, of the local church uh, before we came. And so dealing with him was a, was a major issue. And when he finally could argue no more that this was all lies and his wife had just, you know, and we had all the witnesses and, you know, people had seen him going to the camp, visiting this girl. Uh, this person would, had written a letter to confirm that it was so. When we had all the witnesses lined up and he could no longer deny that he was having an affair outside of his marriage, he said this. He said, it is my right as a Maasai. God doesn't care if I, as a Maasai, he knows we have needs. It's my right as a Maasai to have a second woman, whether I marry her or not. That's a straight line issue. That is adultery. That is clearly sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This list here, the ones who practice these things, and we had a list of all the times and places, how long this fair had continued on. The ones who practice these such things will not inherit. That's a straight line issue. We can now hone in on it. We can see and say, no, this is sin. And in an area where we have God's word given to us, we are required by God's word to judge it as God judges it. We do not have the option of saying, no, we will pass this by. We have to look at it. We have to evaluate if it's true. And if it's true, we have to deal with it. And in this case, that meant bringing the man before the church where he could either repent or he had to be excommunicated. He had to be put outside of the church. We would not let this continue within the church of God. This is idolatry. It still happens today. It happens every time we raise something up and we say, but I, I care about this more than I care about the word of God. Now, we won't say that, but you won't find verses to support your opinion. I was talking to a friend of mine in Maine and they went to a church and the pastor actually believed in a flat earth. And he would not allow anyone to come into the church as a board member or in leadership in the church unless they would espouse that they also believed in a flat earth. Again, you've taken a theory and you've raised it to an idolatry. It's easy to look at someone else and see it. But I've given you these. Hopefully, it'll help you to evaluate when you hear things. Second one is sorcery. We'll start moving a little faster now. Sorcery was the use... This is the definition from the Bible dictionary based on the Greek word pharmacia. It's the use or administration of drugs. Now that word has changed as it gets into our definition and now becomes sorcery, magical arts, often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it. In other words, the reading of tarot cards, uh, astrology, um, the believing in horoscopes, uh, any superstitious thing you can think of. The Maasai used to have a tree that they would lay, that they would make for the arches of their gates 
of their thorn tree fences. And this tree had lots and lots of branches. And if you passed under it, you were going to be blessed and you'd have lots of increase in your seed. You'd have good blessings on the fertility of your cows and of your wives. And if you laid it down and you put it backwards, you'd have a curse on that gateway. And anyone who went through that gateway would now be cursed and you would dry up in your fertility. And these were all pagan superstitions. This is what I think of a little bit when I think of sorcery. Um, It's the use of drugs and the use of pagan traditions uh, to kind of divine the future. Divine the future. Uh, We see it also in our American society as people talking about freeing the mind. Maybe we're not looking at you know, alcohol and marijuana and, you know, all the different drugs that are out there. Don't even ask me to go there. Something that is uh, uh, part of a worship, but we're using it as freeing the mind. I just needed to release a little pressure. And yet a Christian is told what? A Christian is told he's to fill his mind with the things of God. Um, we'll get into that in drunkenness as well. The next one is Hatred. Uh, the, this is defined as enmity, enmity. You know, within the world, I'm amazed how quick it is that people will tell me, well, you know, I, I just got into the, to a new job once and some of the people came over and they told me, well, you just be careful. You know, she's not very nice or he's not very nice or he does this or she does that. And immediately they were filling me in on what they thought was important. And what was it? It was enmity. It was enmity where others had failed. So this is hatred. It's so easy for us to get in there, even within ourselves and our speech, as we talk about different people. Our anger overflows, and instead of loving our neighbor, which is what we are commanded by Christ, to love our neighbor as ourselves, we are overcome with evil, and we speak evil of our neighbor. Because we are attached to the flesh, this is so easy to do. You notice in James it talks about this, and it says, James was written, let me read you the first verse just so you know. James, a brother, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, breeding, bre- uh, greetings, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So this was written to the 12 tribes, so it was an early letter before Christianity had come to the Jews. But it was talking to my brethren, those that were in the faith, and it was talking about uh, counted all joys when you fall into various temptations and trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So it's, it's written to the Jewish Christians that were scattered abroad throughout the empire that were being persecuted by other Jews. And within them, he would say in James 4, 1 through 4, where do wars and fighting come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your members, we want what we want. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Now, I don't believe that they were killing anybody, but I think that murder is the same murder Christ was talking about when he said, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder in your heart. You fight and war, And yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. 
Okay, so again, this is talking to Christians. And he calls them in verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He, He brings it right out. He says, you're desiring things that aren't spiritual. You you list what God has said in the church. Should there be divisions in the church? No. Divisions are sinful. As we follow the Lord, we find ourselves drawn to him, and there should be a humbleness between those that are being drawn to him, that I can love you as a brother, even if we disagree on some small issue of biblical theology, or something else that isn't clearly spelled out, we can disagree agreeably. You're my brother in the Lord. Psalms will talk about the beauty of unity. Why? Why would you you talk about the beauty of unity being like oil in Aaron's beard? I think Moses could have written that, and I think he might talk about it because he understood what contentions were. He had Miriam and Aaron that one time tried to stand against him as he was the spokesperson for the Lord. And they said, oh, we are too. Remember, and Miriam was cursed with leprosy for a period of time. And he had Korah who rebelled with 250 elders of Israel and said, we also are the prophets of the Lord. And he had the children of Israel that murmured and complained and even at times threatened to stone him. And he looked at it, he said, oh, that we had unity. Oh, that the love that we are supposed to have for one another would rule. You know where the hatred comes from? It comes from when we let go of this love, we stop filling ourselves and we stop holding ourselves accountable and we start walking off. Contentions is the next one. That's strife and debates. Okay, that, that just takes it and it, it takes what's in the heart and it brings it out into the public. We start, instead of just starting to st- have a trouble in our heart, the next thing we do is we sin with our lips and we start bringing it out into the public. I've been guilty of this. Something I had to go back and ask forgiveness for. You let bitterness grow and it eventually overcomes you. Jealousies. Excitement of the mind, ardor, fervor of spirit, a fierceness of indignation and punitive zeal, an envious and contentious rivalry. Jealousies don't rejoice in what somebody else has or does or has been granted. Jealousies wish that you could do it. This is all part of divisions, isn't it? All part of hatreds. I dislike this person, so I speak about him. And now when something good happens to him, I'm jealous of him. Outbursts of wrath. wrath. Passions, anger, heat, uh, boiling, anger forthwith boiling up and soon subsiding again. I can remember a day when I was working and there was some some pretty awful things that happened in Second Ani. And I was with a young man who was trying to gain favor with me. And at the time, I didn't trust him a whole lot, but he was working, and he was working hard, and seemed to be on our side, and we were walking together. 
in life. And this young man immediately burst out and he says, let's organize and we'll get all the youth together and we'll do all these things. And he had a whole list of plans of, of the way they could deal with it politically within the culture. I said, no. I said, this is wrong. We can't deal with it that way. And the man that he wanted to deal with was eventually, 10 years further down the line, would become a friend of ours. And he would become the man that was responsible for getting us the title deed to the land of the mission station. But there was a moment there when I saw this wrath come out of this young man, and I knew this is not of God. In James, it talks about the wisdom that comes from God is first pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of goodness. There's no good gift that comes down from God that isn't, doesn't define these characteristics. When you have things that are full of contentions and strife and bitterness and hatred, it's not coming from God. That doesn't mean that we always have to give in. There are times to stand. But we have to be careful that we don't let it become some of these outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. This talks about electroneering. I can't say that word. Intriguing for office. Going around and greeting people because you know they need to be greeting. Oh, you know, Absalom did this with David. I would that that case had come to me. Man would come to David with a disagreement. And when he came back down and the king had, had come up with the right answer, maybe it was even a compromise where both sides went a little bit unaffected, you know, went away a little bit dissatisfied. Absalom would come and put his arm around him and say what? Oh, if I'd only been able to judge your case, I'd have given you true justice. Easy to promise, impossible to do. But electioneering, where you're working people to try to get a, a consensus and a group together, that's selfish ambitions. Partisanship, fractionists, putting yourself forward. Dissensions, dissensions are divisions. Paul would talk about that in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So easy. One person says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ, and they split among them. Heresies. Heresy is the act of taking captive through words. Um, a body of men following their own tenets, such as the Sadducees, the Pharisees, even Christians were considered part of that at the beginning. Uh, divisions arising from diversity of opinion and aims. It's easy to say we hold true to God's word, but it's harder when we're asked to prove it. When a verse stands in contradiction to us and we're asked to prove it, to live it, will you truly live what you've said? Paul would also talk about this in uh, Galatians 5, 14 and 15. He said, the law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you be consumed by one another. If there's a verse that speaks to something directly, we must yield. Must we not? 
we must yield. We must bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, even though this is hard, I want to follow what you say. Um, Envy. Envy just takes covetousness or jealousy one step forward. Now it's not just, I want what he has. Now I'm angry with this person because he has it. I want to drag him down. Um, Murder. That word's not in many of the manuscripts, but it, with hatred and envy there, I can understand it. Drunkenness. This is letting something control us, whatever it is. Something that fills us to the point that it influences us, whether it's passions or alcohol or, or drugs of some sort. Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Okay, what is wrong with that? When you are drunk with wine, you accomplish nothing. Your efforts, your money, everything that you've gained dissipates. It goes away. It's like taking a glass of water and dumping it out, and it just spills. Some of it soaks down into the, into the ground or into the, onto the floor. Some of it's picked up and thrown out, but it becomes unusable for that which it was collected for. It was to be drunken, Right? But now that you've spilled it, who wants to pick that back up and try to drink it? Nobody. Dissipation means this this running out. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. As wine controls you, as something comes in to control you. We see this with people that are addicted uh, to whatever it is. You see someone who's addicted to gambling at the casinos. What happens to them? Every last penny they have goes out. Next time I'm going to win it big. Somebody who's addicted to alcohol. I just need, you know, my my couple of glasses in the evening. And it it becomes, that's their habit until it's their lifestyle, until that's all they do is sit there and look for that piece that they can get in the bottle and their life just goes down and down and down and down. Destroys their health, it destroys their finances, destroys their marriage, destroys their families. It lays the root of sin in the next generation. All of this, it's dissipation. It's just the downward progression. Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the opposite of that. Be built up in the Spirit until it fills you. Instead of being dissipated, flowing out, now we're to be a pure vessel being filled by the, from above. We're to have to give out to those that are around us. We're to build up both financially so that we can give out and also spiritually so that our minds are set on the things of God, we live right, and we can help and encourage others. We're to disciple one another teaching and encouraging in the Lord. Last one, revelries. Goes along with drunkenness. It's the wild parties, the carousing, uh, revel, carousing, nocturnal, riotous processions, half-drunken and fractious fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music. Okay, that was the definition from the Bible dictionary. Those that, you know, you, you think about a fraternity, you know, all I want is, is parties. I just want the, the lack of responsibility, the lack of all, all restraint gone. I want the total freedom to do whatever I want. I want open immorality. I want everything imaginable. Revelries. And Paul ends this. 
of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. So I'm telling you now, just like I told you before, those who practice these things, if you allow these things to continue, they are the flesh and they will overpower you. We're gonna stop there. Praise the Lord, it doesn't stop there. If we're walking in the Spirit, we're gonna see the fruit of the Spirit, things that God gives us next week. It's not just a battle against. It's not about looking at what we're against. It's not about the list. It's about what we're choosing to fill ourselves with. And we'll look at what God gives us as we fill ourselves with him. Let's stand as we close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much that we come into your house. And Lord, we thank you even for those hard passages of Scripture which teach us about what the roots of sin which so easily take and captivate us. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to stand for you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.